On this episode of Death and the Doctor, our young and bright-eyed medical student chronicles her experiences with a patient who walked into the ER with a cough and left without one. You walked into the emergency room with a cough. You rolled into my life on an incubator. Fear ruins good medicine. Eighty-year-old female with pneumonia. She won't understand you because she's completely out of it, so you'll leave the subjective portion blank, said the resident as he showed me your chart for the first time. A jolly man, like two trees sewn together and draped with delicious mofongo and empanadas and all manner of other Puerto Rican fried food. He wore a watch from a brand too fancy for me to know and carried a gold cell phone. His words passed impeccable facial hair, like Tony Stark's. My plastic chair screeched on the tile floor as I struggled to fit your thick medical file on the counter of the tiny charting corridor. If I fell forwards or backwards, I'd hit a wall. That's how narrow it was in your cardiac intensive care unit. I won't leave the subjective portion blank, I swore. You see, even for medical school, as third-year students like I was then, we learned to write our doctor notes in the SOAP format. Subjective Objective Assessment Plan. The stuff you tell us, the stuff we observe, what we think is wrong with you, and what we're going to do about it. So when he said to leave the subjective portion blank, he meant you couldn't tell me anything. He didn't mean any harm by it. We're all taught in medical school, essentially, that when you're unconscious, you're gone. It's just that I won't believe it without a PET scan because of some study I read as a teenager. So when Dr. Resident introduced me to you, I believed you could hear my voice announcing every part of my physical exam. I'm going to listen to your belly now, pressed on your belly. You could feel, I think, my fingers pressing against your very, very, very soft skin. Your fluttering fingers against mine seemed like real squeezes, real responses to my questions. You told me you were still here. Don't discount me, please, your fingers said. That was my subjective. My objective. Vitals. Heart rate somewhere between 60 and 100 BPM. Impossible to get a good read with your irregular rhythm. General. You were cachectic. I think you taught me how to use that word. Wasted. Thin. Eyes closed. On a ventilator. Your lips fluttered as you fogged the tube sticking out of your mouth into the machine. H-E-N-T. Cracked lips. Caked with black blood. Cardiology. It was my first time hearing atrial fibrillation. Really. Or at least one of the first. I didn't even know how to touch your wrist while listening, I don't think, at that time. Respiratory. Your lungs were so noisy, and I couldn't yet tell the difference between the ventilator and the webs of refuse in your lungs, but I could hear something bad. Rails, crackles, ronchi. You would teach me pulmonology over the next month as the tides of goo in your lungs waxed and waned. Abdomen. Your belly skin was so soft. Did it hurt when I pushed on it that first day? Did it annoy you to be awakened? You walked into the emergency room with a cough and they treated you with pneumonia. Before I met you, something, either the pneumonia itself or the medications from it, triggered kidney failure. Without kidneys peeing, all the water stayed in your body, filling you like a swollen skin balloon so your heart, with its little afibbing rhythm, couldn't pump your blood. When it gets harder and harder for your heart to pump that fluid overload, it all backs up into your lungs and you can literally drown in your own body fluids. That's heart failure. Normally, when someone has too much liquid in their body like that, we would give them a medication to have them pee it out. Your kidneys weren't working, so you couldn't pee it out. Can't we just take the liquid out? I asked after my resident explained your physiology to me. 
You mean dialysis? Uh, sure, I was definitely smart enough to have meant that. Dialysis is a strain on the heart, Dr. Resident went on. The cardiologist would have to sign off on that. Well, c can we get her something for that? I pointed to your bloody mouth. This would become my daily refrain. My resident would nod with pursed lips, maybe even a severe beard stroke, before clicking his pen to write the order for your mouth. This is supposed to be the job of the primary team, he would say, but I don't think they'll mind a little ore gel. Who knew such basic comfort care was so transgressive? The next day, can she have dialysis now? The cardiologist needs the nephrologist to make a decision. But the nephrologist wants the cardiologist to decide. Right. Is there anything we can do? We're pulmonary, just lungs. The fluid's in her lungs, though, right? Yes, but the fluid's from a heart problem. That's cardiology. Who's on first, Julia? Who's on first? Subjective, unchanged. Objective, vitals, unchanged. Respiratory, dependent crackles. I could hear the water crawling up the sides of your lungs. Skin, swollen, sticky, with water seeping from your pores. If I pressed a finger into your arm, it left a pit an inch deep in your fluid-filled flesh. Labs, a BUN of 700? No one lives with that. The urine in your blood rose to such ungodly levels, I would never see anything that high again. Still, even with all the poison bathing your brain, I believed you were there. You walked into our hospital with a cough, and one day as I pressed on your belly, you groaned. When I lifted back your sheet, black goo oozed from your diaper. You were a good learning case. That's a term we hear a lot in medicine, and as a medical student, I hated it. When other students oohed and awed about the excitement of the complicated pathologies we saw, my stomach churned. My little brother, my little sister, they were good learning cases too. You never want to be a good learning case. The black goose stunk like rotten meat. You groaned past the ventilator in response to my every question, and my belly ached with a dread I didn't understand. This was how I learned what it looks like when you're bleeding out from the inside. It's the ventilator and her kidney failure. Dr. Resident explained a process I didn't understand. People with those risk factors tend to suffer breakdown in their gastrointestinal lining, so the primary team changed your medication, and I'm sure there was talk of surgeons and scopes, but all in all, your heart couldn't handle anything. This became the bane of my existence, not the bleed, but the pain that accompanied it. Every day, your soft velvet skin writhed under my touch as I struggled to figure out what was hurting you, because in my medical student mind, maybe you had some other thing that we could fix. I peppered my attending and doctor resident with stupid questions until my boss even snapped at me to stop worrying about you. You were going to die, they said. Well, if that was the case, couldn't we give you morphine for the pain, I wanted to know? No, because that could kill you. But if you were going to die anyway, <laughs> this was all for the primary team to decide. There were days I was the only doctor who saw you for more than a couple seconds. You walked into the emergency room with a cough and never walked out again. We knew it, you and I. We knew they couldn't or wouldn't or that the argument between them and your family about DNRs and living wills would hold up forever. The doctors felt your family's refusal to sign a do not resuscitate only prolonged your torture. Your family felt the doctors didn't know you and didn't care. Between the miscommunications, the specialists, the relatives, the whole mess, you and I... I don't remember if your room had a window, but I remember light, a thin ray touching you in your suffering. You writhed, your wrinkles contorting to squeeze tears from your crow's feet. You squeaked at the end of your groans, pleading with me through your bleeding gums without words. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I cried, hoarsely afraid that I'd be in trouble for what I'd say next. I'm asking for medication for you, but they won't give it. They're afraid you might die. Your fingers clutched the hospital sheet. I know, honey, I know. I'm so sorry. Please hold on. Please just hold on until your family can get here. 
I don't know what else I said. I hope, whatever it was, that it relieved a tiny bit of your pain. The monitor beeped like you'd expect it to from the movies. Just like in the movies, our eyes fixed on it as your heartbeat slowed, slowed, skipped a beat. Your family sat gathered around you. Someone wore a star of David. I'd been with you every day for the last month, but at the end, I stood outside the glass doors, leaning my rear on the small charting table while Dr. Resident crossed his arms. The other medical student put his hands sullenly in his pockets. My chest ached, but you were quiet. You were not in pain. Thank God your family was there. Your chest rose and fell. I could see that, I think, from the distance where I stood. It was late, and I should have been home already, but I needed to see the beats on the monitor slow down. I didn't want it to be like it was with my grandmother, where I came back one day and she was gone. The agony of the month finally ended for you with a quiet stillness. You left the hospital without a cough. If you like this episode of Death and the Doctor, The Art of Killing a Physician Slowly, be sure to subscribe to Emergency Exit Podcast wherever you get your pods. This series of short stories chronicles the losses and near misses that our doctor encountered during her first few years of medical practice. Thank you for listening to this episode of Death and the Doctor. I'm Jen Finelli, the licensed physician voice behind um, the series. Mental health care is very important to me because of the only personal trauma that I have dealt with and because of the impact I've seen on my patients. So if you or a loved one are at risk, um, the phone number for the suicide helpline is 1-800-273-8255. Or for the crisis text line, you can text HOME, that's H-O-M-E or Hotel Oscar Mike Echo, to 741-741 in the U.S. or 686-868 in Canada. I also went ahead and along with the emergency um, exit podcast network, we've gone ahead and affiliated with BetterHelp.com. In these current times, it can be difficult to go out to find a therapist, and a lot of times people's insurance doesn't always cover what they need. There are cheap and affordable uh, therapist options at BetterHelp, and like I always tell my patients, if you need to fire your therapist and pick another one, you always can. You always should take care of picking the therapist that's best for you, but if you would like to take advantage of our 10% offer, um, we do have a special link for you at has offers tracking.betterhelp.com slash s h d y. That's has offers tracking.betterhelp.com slash s h d y. So that link is also going to be in the description of every episode. So, one more time, in order to get 10% off of your teletherapy so that you can take care of yourself effectively. Um, please go to hasofferstracking.betterhelp.com slash S as in Sierra, H as in Hotel, D as in Delta, and Y as in Yankee. And that's has offers tracking with an S. I really hope that you find that helpful. And if not, do what you need to do to try to find care in the area near you. It's also always a viable option if you have a well-trained chaplain um, or you have a well-trained school counselor. 
sometimes they can get you the help that you need as well. Every single person, whether a counselor or a pastor or a school counselor or a therapist, can sometimes be hit and miss because the evidence shows that the biggest thing that makes a difference for patients actually getting better is if you have a good rapport with the therapist. So if it's not working, get a different one. It's okay. A professional isn't going to be offended. What I like about being able to use betterhelp.com is you have an enormous network of therapists all over the world that you can use to help you out. Um, It is a U.S.-based company. And while I can't give you some kind of insurance referral or anything like that to them, this affiliate link is a great way to both support the show and do what you need to do to make sure that you're healthy to be able to help other people. Thank you very much for listening to the show and have good adventures. Adventures.